We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Today's passage is from Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. So please turn to your Bibles. Romans 15, 1 through 7. Again, that's Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. John, thank you for uh, leading us in those. Man, that, that last song, so beautiful with the text that we just read, that we sing as one as the children of um, God. That's the thrust of this text here for us today as well. If you're a guest with us, man, it's a joy to see you here with us. Thanks for joining us today. I know we have family in town because of Mother's Day. We have family joining us because of graduations, and so thank you for being here. And if you're a guest that's not family and you just found your way into our building today, thanks for being here. We'd love to meet you after the service. We'd love to um, get to know you, uh, ask, answer any questions that you have, and, uh, and just know how you came to, to be with us today. So feel free to stop by our Connect table in the lobby, find me outside, uh, or you can go to EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. That's EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. And uh, at that page, we have a digital um, a connect card. We also have opportunities to get plugged in with membership and with uh, small groups and a number of other areas. So um, we'd invite you to EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. Hey, um, we want to pray here in a minute, and, uh, and as we pray, there's a few things that we want to pray for today. Uh, we prayed last week, laid hands on and prayed for, um, for uh, Jason DeRoshi and his son Isaac as they're heading out to Ethiopia for a few weeks of, of mission from our church. They're actually flying out today, so we're going to just remember them in prayer as they are traveling here today. Uh, and then we're also going to um, just, just remember um, mothers in our church and those who, um, who long to be mothers or those who have lost mothers. Mother's Day is an interesting holiday. One of the things I love about Romans is it has called us to um, outdo one another in honor, and Mother's Day is a beautiful day for that. Right? It's a beautiful day to show honor to someone else. Romans has also called us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And Mother's Day is a really good day for that also. For many of us on Mother's Day, it is a day of celebration. We have a phenomenal mom who has loved us deeply, and we have a great relationship, and there's a lot of celebration around that. For some of you on Mother's Day, it's a day of celebration. You are a mom, or your wife's a mom, and, and you get to celebrate that. And maybe even this is your first year as a mother on Mother's Day, and you're celebrating that. And then for some, it's a day of weeping. 
For some, it's a day where um, perhaps uh, the, your mother was absent or your mother has passed away or your mother was neglectful and abusive. Perhaps for some of you, you are a mother who has a child who has wandered away and isn't following Christ and is estranged from a relationship with you. Or you're a mother who has lost a child. Just this weekend, Jake and Tabitha Rainwater lost a child to miscarriage. And so I asked her permission to share that and for us to pray for them. Um, so there's many of you who have taken that journey or similar journeys. We want to weep with those who weep, and we want to rejoice with those who rejoice. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray along that line for the women of our church and for the men of our church who um, are rejoicing over their mothers and weeping over their mothers today. And then we want to pray that the Spirit would speak to us today through his word. And then we'll jump into this passage. Jesus, I thank you for this text that we're about to look at. We need you to speak to us. We need to hear from you, not from a man. Spirit, we need you to preach to our souls, not not merely a sermon that I've written down on, on paper. Would you do so? Would you cause us to be receptive to your word? Today, would you be with Jason and Isaac as they are flying out this morning for Ethiopia to to care for orphans, to serve um, within orphanages, to train pastors, to encourage churches, to um, serve missionaries? Father, I thank you for the, the financial gift that we were able to send with them because your people here have given so generously. And I thank you for their willingness to go. Would you go before them? in safety, and in preparation of conversations for the sake of your glory and the salvation of people there. And then, Father, today we pray for, um, well, for everyone in this room as we celebrate Mother's Day, as some rejoice and as some weep. Would you heal the brokenhearted as we just sang? Would you care for the weeping? Would you comfort those who today bring sorrow? And Father, may you also rejoice with those who rejoice. Spirit, would you testify within the hearts of your children a rejoicing, a celebration where there is rightness for that, whether that's having a child and now being a mother, whether that is seeing a mother who has served and loved her family faithfully. Father, even those of us who weep today, would you give us cause to rejoice in other mothers that we see, cause to rejoice in those situations. And for those of us who rejoice today, would you give us compassionate hearts to weep for those who are also weeping today? We need you, Spirit. Be with us today. Speak to us today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 15, we are um, in the last two chapters of Romans. Our journey here is almost finished. Next week, we'll take a one-week break from Romans to celebrate Ascension Sunday, uh, and uh, and we'll celebrate the Ascension of Christ uh, after his resurrection, and then we'll come back to Romans, and we'll finish it up. I believe we have three or four weeks left in it after um, today, and we'll be done with the book of Romans. Just so you know, this fall, we'll be jumping into the book of Ecclesiastes, 
And so if you're interested in, uh, in reading ahead, go join us in Ecclesiastes uh, and, uh, and start studying it and uh, be ready for your soul to be encouraged and downtrodden at the same time as you read through uh, that beautiful book. And we'll join there in the, in the fall. This summer, we're going to be hearing from some of our pastoral residents. We're going to be doing our annual Declare and Display series where we kind of talk about the mission of the church. And we're also going to be doing a seven-week series on the Trinity. Uh, what, who is this triune God that we worship, and what does it mean to us? And so um, we're looking forward to that this summer. Two weeks left, um, our two chapters left here in um, the book of Romans, and as we find ourselves here in chapter 15, Paul is continuing his exhortation for us to be living sacrifices of genuine love as an act of spiritual worship. Right, That we would be living sacrifices of genuine love as an act of spiritual worship. We who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus are to spend our days in worship of our triune God by living as a sacrifice of genuine love for others. So what does this look like? What has Paul explained for us? Well, here's the list he's gone through for us. To be a living sacrifice of genuine love as an act of spiritual worship looks like not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought using the gifts of faith God has given you to serve the church, clinging to what is good, hating what is evil, living with zeal for God, enduring in tribulation, being constant in prayer, caring for the needs of others, blessing those who persecute you, not cursing those who persecute you, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, not being prideful, but associating with the lowly, not repaying evil for evil, but trusting God's justice, loving your enemies, seeking to live peaceably with all, outdoing one another and showing honor, trusting God's appointment of elected government or of government officials and seeking to honor and obey them when their ruling does not lead you to sin, paying your taxes, Paying your debts, loving each other extravagantly, not murdering, not stealing, not coveting, loving your neighbor as yourself, doing no wrong to your neighbor, casting off sinfulness such as drunkenness and orgies and sexual immorality and sensuality and quarreling and jealousy, not making any provision for the flesh to gratify itself, not passing judgment on those whose convictions of faithfulness to God are less or more strict than yours, doing the work to have confidence in your convictions and then following those in faithfulness, living in peace with each other over issues of disagreement. That is quite the list a long list of ways in which we as followers of Jesus are to be living sacrifices of genuine love as an act of worship to God. Now in, verse, in, the, in the first seven verses of chapter 15, Paul is going to continue this exhortation. He's going to give us an example. He's going to um, mention an aside, which is like an aside as we do this in a sermon often. We're preaching the text and we go, and you know what, that, that actually makes me think of this. Uh, let me just step aside and let me say this. This isn't right here in the word. This is some, another idea that relates to this and then we come back to it. 
So he's going to give us an exhortation. He's going to give us an example. He's going to give us an aside. He's going to give us a prayer. And then he's going to give us an exhortation again. Verses one and two are his exhortation to genuine love. Verse three, his example. Verse four, his aside. Verses five through six, his prayer for endurance, encouragement, and genuine love. And then verse seven, his exhortation to genuine love. So we're just gonna go through this verse by verse. Chapter 15, verses one and two. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, if you remember last week, what Paul means when he talks about the strong and the weak is he's talking about strong and weak in faith. The strong in faith are those who have learned to walk in the freedoms that Christ gives us in areas of non-essential issues. In, uh, In other words, if scripture does not clearly define something as sin or as faithfulness, there's freedom to walk in it. And so in chapter 14, the examples that Paul gives were eating meat that was offered to idols, drinking wine, and believing that some days are more holy and some days are less holy than others. Right? And we gave a list of examples to you last week of what this looks like in our culture. And I've received more feedback on last week's sermon than probably any sermon I've preached at Emmaus. Mostly good, no one too cantankerous, but lots of questions of clarification of, but what about this situation? If you remember last week, I said, this is one of the most nuanced texts we can ever look at. All right, so Paul unpacks, what does this look like to be weak and to be strong? The strong have Christian liberty, the weak Um, have stricter convictions around areas of non-essential issues. And so here, Paul brings in, he goes, we who are strong, we who practice Christian liberty, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And if you're sitting here and you identify as the weak one, Right? You identify as the one with stricter guidelines around non-essential issues for faithfulness. This, this almost feels very like uh, confrontational and, uh, and downtrodden to you. It's, it's almost kind of like, hey, get off my toes, Paul. It's almost kind of discouraging. It's almost kind of smack talk, if you will. He, he's, he says, hey, those of you who are, streak, are, who are strong, who are walking in Christian freedom, you have the obligation to bear with the failures of the weak. And if you're the weak, you're like, oh, that sounds harsh, Paul. Like, I'm trying to be faithful, and you're talking about they have to bear with me out of obligation because I'm failing. What is Paul talking about here? The image that Paul is giving us in this passage is the image he gives in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, when he says, bear one another's burdens so as to fulfill the law of Christ. He says, believers, your brothers and sisters have a burden and you're to bear them with them. You're to lift their burden up and put it upon you and help them carry their burden. This is the idea he gives us here in Romans 15. By bearing with the feelings of the weak, Paul is not saying, well, well strong, just, man, just try to get through it. Good luck. I know that the weak are difficult. I'm sorry it's causing you trouble. Do all you can to endure the trouble they're causing you. So sorry. That's not what he means by obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. By bearing with the failings of the weak, what Paul is saying is Christians have a familial commitment to each other 
to sacrifice their own freedoms and convictions for the sake of the other. We have a familial commitment to each other to sacrifice our own freedoms and convictions for the sake of the other. Take the weaker brother or sister um, and their strict convictions, place them on your shoulders and help them carry the weight of their burdens. On this verse, Tom Schreiner says, the thought here is that the strong should come to the aid of the weak and help them in their deficiencies. Now, if you remember in chapter 14, Paul said he believes that the strong person's view is the right view. He believes there's nothing that's unclean in and of itself and that the Christian can walk in freedom and non-essentials. And so he's already defined for us, there is, in his opinion, the Apostle Paul's opinion, that there is, in his understanding of Christ, there is a right and a wrong, but then his whole emphasis was, those of you who are walking in freedom, give up your freedom for the weak. Be so free that you don't have to keep practicing freedom but rather care about the fellowship and the heart and the, the, the soul of the person that you're with. And so here, as Schreiner would say, the strong should come to the aid of the weak and help them in their deficiencies. It is a deficiency, Paul says here. It is a failure to believe you don't have freedom in areas of non-essentials. But he doesn't condemn them. In fact, he tells us in chapter 14 not to condemn them. Instead, he says, bear with them. Bring that upon yourself. Make that deficiency, make that failure your failure to walk with them in. Some of us, as, as we said, hey, you gotta bear with one another in these. You, you have to help come to the aid of those in, these, in their deficiencies. Some of us started thinking about those who are the weaker brother or sister, those who have stricter um, confines around the non-essentials, and, and we started thinking, how can I convince them that what they believe is wrong? That's what it looks like to help them. And that's not, I believe, what Paul's getting to is help. Because Paul doesn't actually ever hear say, and go try to convince them that they're wrong. Paul in 14 and 15 has been calling us to bear with, to care for, to walk with them. He's not saying the strong must bear with the failings by convincing them to stop. Rather, he's saying that we are not to enforce our freedoms upon them and we're to even give up our freedoms when around them so that we don't cause their conscience to be convicted or to be condemned. We do this, he says in verse two, with a desire not to please ourselves, but the desire to please them. Look at the end of verse one and into verse two. And not to please ourselves, let each, each of us please his neighbor for his good and build him up. Paul goes, listen, do all that you can. Seek to please your neighbor for their good and to build them up. Now, some of you have struggled all your life with being a people pleaser. Or you struggled much of your life with being a people pleaser. For years, you've lived in paralysis and fear and anxiety um, over the issue of trying to please people. Please mom, please dad, please friends, please a certain crowd, please the, your, your professors, please your boss. It's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about being a people pleaser in the broken sense of being a people pleaser. In fact, Paul has said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
In Galatians, Paul is referring to pleasing man as a, as a wrong motive or as a wrong desire. But in Galatians, pleasing man is, not, is, is the issue of not preaching the gospel, not saying truth out of fear of what man would say. There's a desire that, to be accepted by man. And so you, you change who you are and what you believe and what you say in order to be accepted by man. And many of you have lived in that type of fear your whole life. And so here in, Galatia, or here in Romans chapter 15, when Paul says, um, seek to please your neighbor, he's not referring to that type of pleasing your neighbor that you change who you are, what you believe, and what you say for the sake of being accepted by your neighbor. Rather, in Romans chapter 15, Paul is talking um, about um, loving them, acting in love for their good to build them up. Instead of being frustrated with, instead of criticizing, instead of um, despising the weaker brother or sister for their weakness, we are to help them carry the burden of their conscience by not enforcing our freedom on their conscience. This is done, church, um, with the end goal of their good, upbuilding them, building them up rather than our own pleasures and freedom. So what Paul is contrasting is, hey, instead of seeking your own pleasure, instead of seeking to please yourself by, by embracing your freedom and going, I definitely am going to keep doing what I feel I have the freedom to do, and you just need to grow up. You need to get over it. You need to um, come to more maturity in your faith and be okay with this. Paul goes, Instead of seeking to please yourself in that, put aside your own self-pleasure and seek to please them with a mutual upbuilding by serving them, by loving them, by putting aside your freedom to care for them. He's exhorting us, church, to live selfless lives, other-focused lives, spiritual growth-focused lives. As we said last week, to love fellowship more than freedoms, to love the other as we love ourselves. Chapter 15, verse three. Let each of us, or excuse me, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So he gives us an exhortation. Don't live for your own pleasure, but the pleasure of others by building them up and laying down your freedoms for them, right? Serve them, love them to that extent. Bear with their failings. And then he says, I have an example for you. And the example that I have is Christ. For Christ did not place himself, did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So Paul anticipates the question, but, but why, Paul? Why should we do this? Why do we have to give up our freedoms for their wrong convictions? You've said you don't agree with their convictions. Why give up our freedoms for their convictions? And Paul goes, because Jesus did. Because Jesus did. Jesus did not please himself, and instead he shouldered or he bared the reproach of others. Paul here in this passage is quoting Psalm 69.9. The 69th Psalm is a Psalm of David, who in that Psalm was a righteous sufferer who had been betrayed and attacked by his friends. David was walking in righteousness, he was walking in faithfulness, and yet he has been betrayed and attacked and suffered reproach by friends. And he's suffering through that. And as he suffers through that, he loves them through that. And all throughout the New Testament, the authors of the New Testament have quoted Psalm 69 as applicable to the person of Christ. 
that Christ was the ultimate sufferer who was betrayed and reproached by friends. The ultimate righteous sufferer who was betrayed and reproached by friends. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, John 2 and 15 and 19, Acts 1 and Romans 11 and now Romans 15 all talk to, all quote Psalm 69 about Jesus. Christ gave up his freedoms for you and I who would believe in him, right? He, he said, no one can take my life from me, but I lay it down. And so Christ laid, took even the ultimate freedom of his own life, which no one could rob him of. And he said, I am willingly and sacrificially of my own will going to give up my life. I sacrifice my life. I give up this freedom for their good, for their salvation. So Paul says, Jesus was slaughtered for God's honor and the good of others. Can you not give up meat for a brother or sister who thinks it's wrong? Can you not give up your freedom for the good of someone else? After all, Jesus gave up his life for you. 15.4, here's the aside. So let's read 15.3 again for context. Remember, he's quoting Psalm 69, which is in the Old Testament. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Verse four, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So this is, in a way, an aside. Paul's going through, he's exhorting us to love our brothers and sisters by giving up our freedoms. He then says, Christ is our example of doing that and quotes Psalm 69 for it. And then it's almost as if he has this idea and he's like, you know what? That, that brings me to a really good point. That, that brings me to a good point. Let me, let me tell you why I can quote Psalm 69 and use that. Let me tell you why that applies to us here today. And he says, what was written in the former days, right? The, the Old Testament scriptures. If you're new to church and new to the Bible, we're talking about really the, the first half of your, of your Bible, the, the Old Testament. What was written before the life of Christ. It was written for our instruction, our encouragement, and our hope, he says. In other words, church, the Old Testament, Paul is saying, matters for us today. It matters. The creation story matters. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph matter. Slavery and the exodus from Egypt matter. The law being given to Moses, which would tell us how to be right with God, matters. The stories of the judges and the kings matter. The stories of Israel's repentance and reconciliation and protection matters. The stories of Israel's sin and rebellion and discipline matters. The prophets matter. The honest, heartfelt cries of the psalmist as they pray matters. The wise sayings of Proverbs matter. And the experiment and hypothesis of Ecclesiastes matters. We'll get there this fall. All of these, all of the Old Testament have a purpose for us today. They did not become useless upon the birth or death of the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just the old way. It is still good for us today to study, to see, to know. They're written for our instruction, he says. Right? They teach us who God is. They teach us who we are and how we're to come to God. 
They teach us what it looks like to trust God and what repentance looks like. They teach us, they, they help us to, to learn about God's faithfulness and his protection and his forgiveness. The Old Testament helps us to learn about the consequences of sin and about God's patience. They're good for our instruction. They help us to know God. And the Old Testament scriptures are good for our encouragement so that we might have hope. Paul says there's two ways that we learn to walk in hope. The first is endurance, and the second is scripture. We endure and see God's faithfulness through our endurance. Suffering comes, trials come, life happens, day after day passes. We continue to endure in faith and hope, and as we do, our faith and hope grows and strengthens. And he says the other way that we learn to walk in hope is scripture, particularly here referring to the Old Testament, helping us walk in hope. It encourages us to keep hoping in a God who's good and gracious and patient and faithful, even when we wander off far into idolatry. There is value in the Old Testament for our instruction and our encouragement and our hope. And as an aside on the aside, this is why we preach through the Old Testament as well. We typically preach through a New Testament book and then we preach through an Old Testament book. So I'm looking forward to jumping into the book of Ecclesiastes with you, church. Now Paul comes back from his aside. Exhortation to love your neighbor by giving up your freedoms, to love the weaker by bearing their failings. An example in Christ who gave up his freedoms so for, for your good, for your salvation. A reminder because he quotes Psalm 69 that, hey, the Old Testament's good for your instruction and for your endurance and for your hope. And then he prays for us. Chapter 15, verses five and six. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. From his exhortation, and remember, he's been exhorting us since chapter 12. 11 chapters of here's the gospel, and now two and a half chapter, or three and a half chapters of here's the gospel implications. Let me exhort you of what to do with this, how to love one another, how to be unified in the gospel. And then he goes, I need to pray for you. And he prays, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He prays for the church. He says, may the God of encouragement and endurance grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Church, our God is a God that encourages his people. Right? He's, he's not an angry father who is, who is just ranting on you all the time, who's raving with fury on you all the time. He is a God of encouragement to his children. I don't know if you've ever been around the father who's just angry with their kids. Everything's harsh, everything's critiquing, everything's shaming, everything is, is correcting in, in harsh tones. And there's just like, oh, that doesn't feel good. It's not right. That's, you see the dejection of the child. That is not the father that our heavenly father is. He's a heavenly father full of encouragement for us. If you are sad today, he encourages you. 
If you are down today, he has encouragement for you. If you are burdened today, there is encouragement for you. If you are broken today, if you are traumatized today, there is encouragement for you. If you are hopeless, our triune God is a God of encouragement. Come to him. Come to him today and have your soul encouraged. Come to Jesus in prayer. Come to the spirit and, 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 and dependence. Come to your father for encouragement. There's room, church. There is room in our father's arms for your discouragement. There's rooms in his arms for your sadness. There's rooms in his arms for your hopelessness. Bring your dark soul before him today and find encouragement. Paul prays that we would find encouragement from the God of encouragement. And he says he's a God who gives endurance. He's the God who builds us up, who strengthens us, who champions us on to move forward in faithfulness. If you are tired today or growing weary, if you're heavy burdened and life feels like too much, if faithfulness feels impossible, and if another day simply feels undoable, if your battle with sin feels like an unwinnable one, if the depression in your body feels paralyzing, God is the God who gives endurance to press forward. There's room for your exhaustion before him today. There's room for your exhaustion in the race of life and faithfulness before him today. Receive endurance, receive encouragement. Jesus himself said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me in your exhaustion. Church, become a reader and a prayer of the Psalms. Become a reader and a prayer of the Psalms. Read them and pray them and meditate on them. Psalms are words from brilliant men and broken men and struggling men and exhausting men about faithfulness to our God. Read the Psalms and find strength today. Pray them. As my friend Brian Key says, the Psalms are God's permission to pray honest, broken, exhaustive prayers. Dive into them. Be encouraged and be given endurance. And he says that we are, I'm praying to God of encouragement and the God of endurance so that we may live in harmony with one another. Right? So, so that this God would help us to live in harmony. If you remember, the, the whole point of Romans, the whole thing is about the harmony or the unity of this church that is beginning to fracture around divisions. Ethnic divisions, cultural divisions, non-essential divisions. And he's seeking to, with the gospel, unite them in the gospel for the sake of the mission of the gospel to go forth. And here he goes, so pray and ask the God of encouragement and endurance to help you continue to live in harmony, in unity with one another. Right? He's not seeking for us to have unity in all of our preferences. He's not seeking for us to have unity in all of our views. He's not seeking for unity by the weak giving up their convictions or the strong feeling convicted from their freedom of their freedom. Paul's seeking unity of the, in the gospel of Jesus and the love that which the gospel of Jesus brings forth in us for one another. Walk in harmony of this. And he says, so that together with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that with one voice, I love that we just sing the song, with one voice, the children of God might sing to the father of Jesus, who as children of God is also our father. That when you look across the room, church, and you see someone whom you have great disagreement with, and yet you know that the two of you believe in the person and the work of Jesus, you have been made the children of God together, and with one voice, you can sing in unity of worship to our God and Father. We are not a collection, church, of divided voices singing worship to a God, but we are a mosaic of vastly different experiences, cultures, ages, and preferences who are unified by the gospel, and we sing, and we pray, and we confess as one voice, a unified, corporate voice of worship. And then Paul, church, I want you, do not want you to miss this, that Paul has just unpacked the last several chapters of an exhortation for us to be faithful to God, for us to discipline ourselves in love for one another, right? Make yourself a living sacrifice of genuine love for the spiritual good, for, as an act of spiritual worship. He said, take off sin, put on righteousness. It's been filled with, um, with, with things, uh, commands for us to do, exhortations for us to walk in. And yet now he's praying for the strength to do so. He doesn't simply give us the exhortations. Be intentional about removing sin. Be intentional about putting on love. Be intentional about living in peace. Be intentional about serving and caring and not seeking revenge and doing no wrong and bearing with one another and thinking less highly of yourself. Be intentional about all these. Good luck. But he says, be intentional about all of these. And now he prays, oh God, help us. We need encouragement and we need endurance for this. Help us in this. He exemplifies a life, church, that is dependent upon God doing the very thing we are trying to be intentional about. The Christian life is both about intentional obedience and prayerful dependence. It's both about intentional obedience and prayerful dependence. You've told me to do this. I'm going to do everything I can to do this. But without you doing this, God, I'm incapable of doing this. I need encouragement from you and I need endurance because I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna do it really well for about an hour and then I'm gonna be tired of this. Sin is gonna rise up, exhaustion's gonna come up, I'm going to be short with my wife, I'm going to have a temper with my kids, I'm going to cheat, I'm going to steal, I'm going to lust, I need help. Encourage me and give me endurance. And so he prays for us. And then in verse seven, he gives us an exhortation. He says this, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Why? Why all of this? Because Christ welcomed you. In your brokenness, in your wickedness, in your sin, as Ephesians said, while you were still dead, he welcomed you. He brought you in. He made you his brother, his sister. He made you children of God's. He welcomed you into his family. So welcome one another, even when you disagree over things. In closing, three pastoral charges for the church, one for the unbeliever. Church, number one, follow the example of Jesus. Live for the good and upbuilding of each other. 
more than the pleasure of yourself. If you are the strong, bear with the weak in love for their good and upbuilding. Encourage them, don't criticize them. If you are the weak, give grace and do not judge the strong in their freedoms. Love fellowship more than you love your freedom or your convictions. Follow the example of Christ. Number two, embrace the scriptures, particularly in this text, the Old Testament scriptures. Embrace them. Read it, pray it, study it. Be all in when we preach through Ecclesiastes this fall. Read it with us, study it with us. Dive into the Psalms as I've already encouraged you. There's instruction and there's encouragement and there's hope in the Old Testament for you today. And in all the scriptures, be a student of the scriptures. Church, I truly honestly believe that if we let God talk to us through the scriptures as much as we let culture talk to us through media, we would be exponentially more happy, more stable, and more healthy. Exponentially, across the board, completely and fully, more happy, more stable, more healthy. Let your God who loves you talk to you through his scriptures. Number three, pray for endurance and encouragement to keep pursuing harmony with one another. Pray for it. Don't just try to do it. Pray for it. Let God speak to you through his scriptures and then you speak to him through prayer. Pray for this. Believe that your God is able to answer prayer. Believe that he will answer prayer. And church, believe that you need him to answer this prayer. You need him to give you encouragement and endurance. You won't make it on your own. Believe the need, believe he'll answer, believe he cares, and pray for encouragement and endurance. I believe that if we will honestly pour out our hearts and our fears and our needs to God in prayer, he will hear and he will answer and we will grow in endurance in this. And fourth, to the church. Unbeliever, come to Jesus today. And fourth, to the, to the unbeliever, come to Jesus today. Come to him today. He is full of encouragement and endurance. He is full of patience and kindness. He's full of healing and forgiveness. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in your disbelief. Come to him in your arrogance. Come to him and say, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I don't, don't have this figured out, but I know I need something, and I think it might be you. Come to me. Help me, save me. I have need to place my faith there in you. If you're like, I don't know what that looks like. I need help thinking through that. We'd love to talk to you about that. But come to Jesus today. Receive Jesus today and find true, genuine love. Let me pray for us. Spirit, we need your help. We're weak and tired and rebellious. We think of ourselves more than others. We love ourselves more than each other. We treat ourselves better than we treat our enemies. We desperately need you if we're going to walk in faithfulness when it comes to being living sacrifices who genuinely love because of the gospel of Jesus. So Spirit, encourage us and give us endurance today. Encourage us and give us endurance not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Encourage us and give us endurance to use the gifts and faith you have given us to serve and build up your church. Encourage us and give us endurance to cling to what is good and to hate what is evil. 
Encourage and give us endurance to live with zeal for you. Encourage and give us endurance to endure tribulations that we face. Encourage and give us endurance to be constant in prayer, to care for the, other, the needs of others, to bless those who persecute you rather than cursing them. Spirit, encourage and give us endurance to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, to not be prideful, but to associate with the lowly, to not repay evil for evil, but to trust your justice. Spirit, give us and encourage us and give us endurance to love our enemies, to live peaceably with all, to outdo another, one another in showing honor, to trust God's appointment of governing authorities over us. Spirit, encourage us and give us endurance to pay our taxes and our debts, to love each other extravagantly, to love our neighbor as ourself, to do no wrong to our neighbors, to cast off sinfulness and drunkenness, orgies and sexual, um, sexual immorality, sensuality and quarreling and jealousy. Spirit, encourage and give endurance so that we will make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So we will not pass judgment on those whose convictions of faithfulness are less or more strict than ours. Encourage us and give us endurance to live in peace with each other over issues of disagreement, to look, um, to look and find hope in the study of the scriptures and to look to the encouragement and hope that we see in prayer and encouragement and endurance spirit to keep looking to the example we have in Christ. May we not forget that we are able to love others because Christ first loved us while we were still sinners. So give us an awe today of your relentless love and generous grace. We pray these things in your name. Amen. The following audio is from Amaze KC. More information about Amaze KC is available online at www.amazekc.com.